For the last three weeks now, at the Naval Academy, for the pre-plebe class, we have been conducting services, as is the tradition of this congregation, for those who have just come in to the Naval Academy and uh, are not allowed to leave the facility. And so we bring church to them every Sunday morning during that period. Kevin has selected a series for this plebe service series that uh, I think is going to be abbreviated to six weeks now this year. From Galatians, with the general theme of the spiritual markings of Christ, and there are different attributes that you see in different portions of Galatians that describe the spiritual qualities that are embedded in those who are preaching the message and embedded in Christ that demonstrate Christ's presence in the life of the speaker. I'm going to recount to you the lesson that I taught that was the beginning of this series. Uh, Stuart did one two weeks ago. I think Mitch did the one this morning. Uh, so, uh, And there will be a continuing series of those. So this will be a, a reprise for those of you who, who are at the yard in the first uh, first plea worship. And our study this morning is going to be taken from Galatians, the first five verses of the first chapter. We who live in the Internet community don't regard the formal structure of correspondence as existed in the first century or, for that matter, up until recent times as being anything more than a throwaway line, a salutation and then into uh, a text message or, or, or some other abbreviated form of communication. But as we see throughout the New Testament, the letter form that was used particularly by Paul was a structure that was common to the time, where there was a salutation that was descriptive and informative as well as just a greeting. It was followed by a body and then a conclusion each element of which was descriptive and instructive. And so as we look at Paul's letters in the New Testament, we need to examine those few first few verses in each of his letters, and we will see a repeating pattern that he presents. In Paul's case, he had a particular challenge because of the background that he'd had with the church. He was an adversary and an enemy of the church. He had done whatever he could to destroy the church. And so now here he was writing letters. He was writing correspondence to those in the church. And a major challenge that he faced was the credibility that he might not have to those to whom he was speaking now in God's name and in earnest. And so we see in Galatians in the first five verses examples of Paul's efforts to first of all establish his credentials. And having established those credentials, made very clear who he represented, not the Sanhedrin, and not himself, but from God the Father. And his representation of who he is is one of those spiritual markings that define him as Christ's own person. 
and we would do well to listen to what he says and how he describes himself and so we might also draw from that and see how we might describe ourselves in a similar circumstance. If you have your Bible open at Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, Paul begins, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. And my focus this morning is going to be on that brief passage that has so much content to it that he might deliver us, rescue us out of this present evil. The expression of the word deliverance, at least as expressed in the Greek, in the context that it's used here, denotes to take for one's own, to rescue, to bring out at the pleasure of the rescuer. This was not construed by those who heard it in those times as a rescue out of duty or obligation, but a rescue that was done eagerly by the rescuer. It was something that was a, a pleasure and pleasing to the rescuer to do this. Paul had to introduce himself, as I said, to somehow answer his detractors. In answering his detractors, he demonstrates the power of the rescue that he'd experienced on the Damascus Road. He'd not been a member of the original 12 apostles. He'd been one of the most savage persecutors of the church, and he lacked any official appointment by the leaders of the church of that day. Paul answered his detractors not with an argument, but with a simple statement. A statement that takes him back to that Damascus Road experience where he realized the error of his ways and the power of God's grace through Christ echoed through him and humbled him and brought him to a realization of whose he was and who he should now be representing. In 1 Timothy, the first chapter in the 15th verse, Paul described himself as the chief of sinners. He made it very clear that his spiritual authority was not an issue of place or the past or the pronouncements of men, but solely and completely due to the grace of God and the redemptive power of a resurrected Christ. This is a theme that he, theme he repeats again in 1 Corinthians in the 15th chapter in the 8th through the 10th verse where he says, I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. In verse 2 of Galatians 1, he concludes, includes his brethren at the church in Antioch, and his greeting underscored the fact that his fellowship with them was an element of his credentials to those to whom he's writing. 
And in this salutation, Paul uses the words grace and peace. He does this in all, in all of his letters, really. Grace, from Greek, from the, from the Hebrew and Greek, being shalom. To wish the blessing of God's grace is a reminder that God had offered salvation to the undeserving and unworthy people, an unearnable salvation that redeemed us from the wages of sin and extends us into a life eternal. And the blessing of peace, which is more than the absence of trouble. It is everything that is to the man's higher good, everything which will make pure and complete and glad. God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ are specifically identified as the unique sources of this redemptive grace and this peace that passes understanding. And our deliverance from sin was defined as God's willing purpose in providing them. Throughout those five introductory verses in the Galatian letter, Paul sets the stage for the primary message that he has throughout this book of Galatians, and that is to emphasize that every aspect of his life, who he is, his authority as an apostle, his message of salvation, and even his blessing, comes from the grace of a loving God and the sacrifice of Christ at the cross for our sins. The importance of this message from the very beginning of the book of Galatians is to convey the importance of God's total involvement in our deliverance. Deliverance of a people who didn't even appreciate the need to be delivered. How could the Galatians, or how could we, be grateful for such an unrecognized and unopened gift? as God's grace and blessing. Paul had no trouble at all. He found it on the Damascus Road. He was convicted at that very point that his life needed to change to be consistent with the life of the giver of life. And that only through that change in his life could he be the recipient of all the blessings that flow from God's mercy and his grace. He saw that his best efforts as the first among sinners were woefully inadequate to be able to realize any deliverance from the sin that was in his life. God's grace and peace comes to us at a terrible cost, as we've just seen here as we gathered around the table and remembered Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We can't really fully appreciate or actively respond to great gifts without appreciating the price that was paid for them. And that is our challenge in this day and time. So far away from the first century Christians' experience, that which motivated them and encouraged them. Sometimes it comes by being confronted with their own sin, as Paul was. Sometimes it comes through the sacrifice of others. On the 6th of December 2007, in central Iraq, Army Specialist Ross McGinnis murdered a hand grenade that had lodged in the antenna mount of his Humvee, saving the lives of four other soldiers in that vehicle at the cost of his own. On the 4th of June 2008, Medal of Honor recipient Ross McGinnis was laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery. 
In his eulogy, Ross's dad said to, this, to these men whose lives were saved, Ross gave you a gift. That's what it was. It not, cannot be carried as a debt. A debt is something that you can repay. A gift is something you enjoy. So live your lives. Enjoy your lives. Because they are a gift. The reason Ross is not here is because his army buddies were more important to him than life itself. After the ceremony, especially Sean Lawson, who was one of the survivors of the grenade attack, said, I'm going for everything. I'm living for another person. Ross wouldn't want me to waste my life doing nothing. Just as surely as these four, so four soldiers' lives have been saved by Ross McGinnis' sacrifice, we are offered eternal deliverance from the wages of sin through the willing sacrifice of Jesus Christ, a sacrifice that is not a debt that we can repay, but a gift freely given with a promise for those who humbly and faithfully submit themselves to the giver. As Paul said in Romans, the fifth chapter, in the first eleven verses, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we exult in the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through his death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. God and his son Jesus would not have us waste our lives. Jesus died on the cross so that we might not waste our lives. It was a sacrifice that we should not take in vain. But to appreciate the price that was paid, the goal that was set before us, and the blessings that flow to us from that sacrifice. The Old Testament is full of references to God's deliverance, but the New Testament delivers, delivers us the means for deliverance through Jesus Christ and ultimately through God's grace through whom our life is possible and every breath we take. Paul was passionate about this and he repeats it with awe and humility for its truth as it's demonstrated in his own life. He said in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans, the seventh chapter, the 24th and 25th verse, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, in the 18th verse, The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We are called to examine our life and see the hand of God in our deliverance. Our deliverance from evil, our deliverance from ourselves, our deliverance from the best that we may think we have to offer that is woefully inadequate in solving our own daily problems. And in the same way, to receive all the blessings that flow from a loving God to his people and the hope that is ours as a participant in that blessing. Our personal understanding of this gift of deliverance that we have received, our personal understanding and acceptance of the price that was paid that we might have the opportunity to have life in Christ is the very beginning of our faith. If we cannot appreciate or understand the magnitude of the gift that was given, we cannot fully embrace the blessings that are promised to us or the home that is in store for us. We have been delivered, those who accept Christ, acknowledge Christ as our Lord, recognize our sins are beyond our control to to remedy or to repair. And in our repentance, reflect a deliberate commitment to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and not to the lords of our own life. And then, having done that, responding to the biblical injunction that we be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. This is the beginning of a journey, not the end. And every day and every hour should be punctuated by our remembrance with clarity and personal impact of the price that was paid that we might have this hope of eternal life. If there are any here that have not responded to Christ, if those of you who would like to study about this further or would like to come forward and be baptized into Christ, or if there are members of the congregation or if there are others that would need to come forward that we might talk to you and and try to deal with other issues, we'd be most happy to do that as we stand now and sing the song of invitation.